Welcome back to Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna. This is Soleil and Ramona Gaylord. Our show today is about the importance of pollinators. We will also discuss some local valley floor pollinators as well. Today we will buzz through what pollinators do for us humans. Who are those pollinators? What is happening to them across the globe? And why we need to conserve them? And why we need to conserve them specifically right here in our own backyard and on the valley floor? Just for your information, a pollinator is any animal that transfers pollen grains from flower to flower, and they transfer the pollen grains as they drink nectar, feed off of pollen, etc. So yes, folks out there, even plants can have sex as pollination is usually an unintended result of pollinator transferring grains from the male part of the flower to the female part of the flower. Once the pollen is successfully transferred, fruits and seeds can develop and the flower can reproduce. So there you have the birds and the bees. So, wowee. Who are these frisky pollinators that we are talking about? Well, these frisky guys can be birds, bats, butterflies, moths, wasps, bees, mostly bees is what we hear about, and even certain small mammals. And they are actually some 200,000 species of animals globally that act as pollinators. Of these, about a thousand are vertebrates, and that is animals with backbones. The rest are invertebrates. Bees get a lot of the credit, but they're non-bee pollinators too, and they are equally important. And actually, one bee study says that non-bee pollinators do anywhere from 25 to 50% of all pollination. And just to bring this home to the valley floor, some of our pollinator species here of import that you guys have seen and see throughout the summer and into the fall are our favorite broad-tailed hummingbird and then the fiery little rufous hummingbird. They're major bird pollinators. And in the butterfly world, we have a whole host of butterflies, but the ones which are more familiar to kids and adults alike are the lovely tiger swallowtails. Uh, the fritillary butterflies are the orange guys with the black like puzzle pieces on their wings and the monarchs and the little skipper butterflies are the smaller ones that skip around from flower to flower. And then in the evening, the sphinx moth, moth, excuse me, sphinx moth, hard to say that one three times in a row. But anyways, you all have probably seen this character going from flower to flower in the evening. Many people confuse it for a hummingbird. They're even called bird moths affectionately, but they are major pollinators. And we also have... Um, for the observant ones that in the evening, if you're sitting out having your glass of wine, you look up, you may see flashing about at dusk the little brown bat. These are all important uh, animals and um, for pollination and all visible on flowers blooming in your yard through the summer and fall. Okay, Soleil, so why are all these 200,000 species of pollinators so important? Yeah, that's a good question. So 75 to 95% of all the flowering plants on earth need pollinators. So without pollinators, humans, wildlife would not have much to eat or look at since most flowers would not survive. However, not all plants and crops need animal mediated pollination. For example, wheat is actually wind pollinated, but pollinators provide their free pollination surfaces 
to over 180,000 different plant wow. species and more than 1,200 crops, which is nearly 75% of crops worldwide. Wow, we so um, Soleil, most folks like a good deal. And I feel like pollinators give us the best deal around. And people will know that, especially when we talk about economic benefits of these lovely pollinators in a sec. But you're also probably wondering, how does all this pollination, what it, why is it important for the average KOTO listener? Well, well for all you, you foodies out there, every one out of three bites you eat is there because of pollinators. So without pollinators, it would be very difficult to get the variety of vitamins and minerals that we need to stay healthy, like antioxidants, vitamin E, and more than 90% of available vitamin C is provided by crops pollinated by bees and other animals. So alternatively, if you're more of a finance type person, more than a foodie, um, here's a statistic for you. Every year, pollinators add $24 billion to the U.S. economy and $217 billion to the global economy. These economic benefit numbers don't include the indirect benefits of plants like milk and beef and cheese from cows fed on alfalfa or medicinal things like morphine and aspirin that are derived from plants that depend on bees for pollination. Wow. So there we just... go again, Soleil, talking about the billions of dollars of benefits, but it's not all just tree hugger stuff and animal loving stuff. And it also causes you to ponder, what do these pollinators come to the table to ask for? Absolutely nothing. They are so generous to us. And one thing should resonate with all listeners because we all love the environment is that pollinators support healthy ecosystems. And they are indirectly cleaning the air, stabilizing soils, protecting us from severe weather, preventing erosion, and supporting other wildlife through their work of keeping plants flourishing because they are pollinating them. And oh yeah, don't forget, and all those flowers that pollinators enable, just the flowers, having a bouquet sitting here on my table and fresh all through the summer. It's just plain wonderful and a beautiful aspect of life to have bouquets to look at and flowers to smell. And out on the valley floor, if you're looking around, taking a hike up in the high, high alpine uh, trails, that includes the penstemons, the annual sunflowers, the gentians, all those beauties that we have become familiar with over the years in our lovely hikes around this area. Yeah, and it's not just about increasing the overall number of pollinators, but actually making sure that all of the pollinators survive and thrive as well. Because many plants have actually developed characteristics to attract very particular pollinators. So if certain pollinators decline, it threatens specific plant species and vice versa. And obviously that would reduce overall biodiversity. So hummingbirds, for example, they see red, but they have no sense of smell. So they need red flowers. And plants that attract hummingbirds that are red are nearly odorless. They have petals that dust the hummingbirds on the back of their head with, their, with pollen as they hover and they pollinate and they sip those little flower nectar. So here's an example of this amazing, highly specialized and symbiotic relationship of two very specific characteristics. And this is just one of the more common ones. There are thousands and thousands of those instances. So I think, Soleil, we can agree that pollinators are hugely important. Sadly, though, 
they are under a lot of different threats from a lot of different sources and their populations are collapsing. So let, can you discuss some of those? Yeah, so we mentioned that there are 200,000 different species of pollinators around the world. Yes, this sounds like a lot, but their pollinator numbers are plummeting. So before we go through these threats, we are seeing in the pollinator populations, let's talk about the Bee Informed Partnership, which surveys thousands of beekeepers, um, managing hundreds of thousands of bee colonies each year. And they have actually estimated that between 22 to 23% of all managed honeybee colonies in the U.S. were lost in the 2019 to 20 winter. And just so you know, the historic average for that survey is around 26%. That's staggering. Um, That's a ton of of loss every year, of a managed honeybee loss. And so before we get to the threats, just so you have an, a sense of the amount of decline we're seeing, it's, it's very, very serious, folks. And let's just stop and reflect on those per- percentages. If you were to lose anything to the amount, including your portfolio, of 23% in one year, you'd probably be pretty concerned. The problem we are talking about is super bad, even much worse for native unmanaged species, whereas honeybees are non-native and managed species. Let's talk about our little guys, our bumblebees and our native flies and such uh, bees that we have that are much smaller and completely different than the native European honeybees. At least 20%, 28% guys, of America's bumblebees have undergone significant declines including formerly widespread and common species. And we were actually uh, giving a, a discussion the other day to the Open Space Commission, and one of the facts that we gave them was that in uh, 40 years ago, uh, bumblebees were much more prolific, and you are 50% less likely to see a bumblebee than you were 40 years ago. So, I mean, I remember, and I had, I had to stop and think about that, when I was a kid out in my backyard in my suburbia, uh, Wheat Ridge, Golden, Colorado yard, there used to be bumblebees all over. And we would always look at them and kind of freak out because there were so many bumblebees on all the plants. And now when I walk in my garden, uh, it is definitely more than a 50% decline of bumblebees. So just, just an aside as an observer, I don't know if anybody my age has also uh, experienced that. Yeah, and for context, in 2017, the rusty patch bumblebee, which is a native, it's actually disappeared from 87% of its historic range. That is astounding. And it became the first bumblebee to be listed as an endangered species. And butterflies as well in the U.S. have undergone significant declines. So 19% of butterflies are currently at risk of extinction. Yikes. The iconic monarch butterfly, which many of you are probably familiar with, has experienced declines of 74 to 80% in both east and west of the Rockies. There are populations of butterflies, by the way, that are western, like California uh, monarchs that go along that corridor, and there's eastern species to the east of the Rockies, that is. So um, we are seeing these significant declines, but what exactly is causing this. There are so many, but the largest loss is in the feeding and nesting habitats or degradation of the habitats of these pollinators due to change in land use for agriculture, resource extraction, and urban or suburban development. 
Another habitat-related threat is that certain plants or animals that are brought from other places, we call them non-native species, can decrease the quality of pollinator habitats. And these non-native plants can often crowd out the wildflowers needed by the native species or attract pollinators away from those native flower species. And yet another threat is, um, and you've been hearing a lot about this in uh, news and in the papers and uh, uh, podcasts, etc., is the misuse and drift from aerial spraying. And one of these aerial sprays is, uh, they're called neonicotinoids, and we just uh, call them neonics these days. They've become so common. And they are a class of insecticides that can totally mess up the central nervous system of invertebrates, and they result in paralysis and death. And lastly, another threat, well, not lastly, but another threat is parasites and diseases, uh, including the hive beetles and the uh, colony collapse disorder. And very sadly, the biggest, what a lot of people think is the biggest last threat is... Climate change, as is threat to all biodiversity on Earth. As the temperature rises, plants are migrating, they're changing their phenology, and all of this is upsetting the delicate balance between pollinators and plants. So plants are now blooming a month earlier than 40 years ago. So plants and pollinators can miss each other. There's a little bit of a mismatch there. So what can we do to help these animals, and what efforts are going on? There is actually a National Pollinator Week. It was designated by the U.S. Senate, believe it or not. Unanimously. Happens in June. Part of this initiative is the Pollinator Partnership, which um, Action for Pollinators is part of this. It includes a lot of research and collaborative effort. And there's also the American Pollinator Protection Campaign. It's a body of diverse partners and dedicated volunteers um, there are 31 eco-regions and guides to prepare the way for local planting to attract pollinators. Interestingly, um, Future Earth's Intergovernmental Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services suggests that instead of focusing on agricultural intensification, farmers could think more about ecological intensification. So they can farm for healthy, diverse ecosystems, a practice that would also be good for the farmer's bottom line. So it's a win-win. And creating these wild corridors to connect islands of wildlife across farming landscapes will also help. So I'm sure many of you are familiar with that terminology. Yeah, and in Europe they have uh, what they call the hedgerows. And between crops and uh, landowners, they often grow wildflowers. And that is the, the concept there. Uh, is really healthy for birds and invertebrates because you have these breaks. Uh, whereas in America, most of our heartland is just monocrop after monocrop. And when you're flying over Kansas, Nebraska, uh, the Midwest, you can just see these massive ranges of just corn, soy, etc., etc. And there are no uh, hedgerows, so to speak, which, which is... Um, a concept that is very, very important and hopefully starting to catch on in our country more and more to bring back biodiversity. And of course, policymakers have a role to play in this, in improving risk assessment standards for pesticides and improving instructions for their use. Very, very important. So the Xerces Society, as well as the National Wildlife Federation, have some concrete suggestions for us as individuals in how we can help pollinators. 
And the first of these is become a wildlife gardener. This is fun. This is easy. You can even get a certification and a sign from the National Wildlife Federation that um, designates your garden as, as a pollinator habitat. And the Xerces Society as well. You can plant pollinator-friendly natives. So you can consult the Colorado Native Plant Society. They have a great website to see what is native to this region. And the Xerces Society is also devoted to invertebrate conservation. So they've been very instrumental in helping us with our efforts on the valley floor, local pollinator projects. Our very own local pollinator projects. So we broadcasted and seeded native pollinators um, along the Telluride Spur last winter, and it was actually a spectacular success for townies and visitors alike. You can observe the results of that alongside the spur. We've got some Rocky Mountain bee plant and some um, sunflowers growing there, and they are covered with bees and hummingbirds. And, and additionally, with the approval of the Open Space Commission and with the help of the Xerces Society, of course, um, I actually have a little native Forbes and grasses revegetation plot at Eider Creek. Check it out if you're there. It's right off the side of the road. And it has been providing pollinator habitat in a native seed bank for the last six years. Um, and there are many, many pollinator plants there. And you can check them out. They are just doused in bees, hummingbirds, uh, other birds, seed eaters, hawk moths, all of the above. So check that out. So another action you can take as an individual is you can um, construct native bee houses. It's really fun. It's really easy. You can just get a piece of wood and drill holes with it. There are simple instructions online. Um, you can obviously avoid pesticides like Roundup. Don't buy those from the hardware store. You can plant milkweed. This is the host plant of the monarch butterfly, the beloved monarch. And it's native to this area and our butterfly populations have very much plummeted in this region, but now that more people are catching on with the milkweed, uh, we're starting to see a few more handful of monarch butterflies. And of course, spread the word and stay alert. As always, these are little nuances that we may miss, but it is important that we stay tuned and look at our little native pollinators and make sure that they are not declining. So on that note, we are going to buzz out to remind you, this is Soleil and Ramona Gaylord, and you are listening to Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna. Thank you, Ben and Koto, and stay tuned for more.